0: that's Chumbacasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. Dw Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: I hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer.
3: Cancer? Yes. In the head. I'm
4: as bad as hell,
3: and I'm not going to take this anymore. Pay no attention to that dude behind the curtain. Are you telling me you
4: built a time machine? Of a show, are you? This is a stupid answer. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the moondoos. <laughs> Hello there, children!
2: Hey, hey, kids! <laughs>
4: to like me because I am
2: polite
0: and I'm rarely late. Don't worry, I got an idea.
2: And now, the host of the G-C Cancer Show, Matthew Zach. Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because
0: he has
2: a lot
0: of chips. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Monday, December 22nd, and welcome to the season 15 broadcast finale of The Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host, Matthew Zachary, a proud 18 year survivor of brain cancer. My fabulous co host and co founder of Stupid Cancer, Kenny Kane, is off tonight celebrating his 28th birthday. We are welcoming you all here and our first time returning listeners to The Stupid Cancer Show on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes Podcast, iHeart Radio and SoundCloud, or listen to the archives on stupidcancershow.org. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year, so, got cancer under 46, huh? Time to get busy, living me because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world, one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show, again, season finale, uh, season 15 finale, it's crazy. The Red Band Society, you know the show on Fox. Exclusive show tonight, welcoming executive producer Margaret Nagel, and stars Wilson Cruz and Nolan Tateo. A Survivor Spotlight tonight, live here in studio with Keith Walker. And with that, my own self-ingratiating applause. Joining me in studio now, Mallory Rivera. Hello. And Mr. Dr. Sean Shapiro. Oh, hey, oh, hey. Good evening, good evening. Yes, hello. It's your first official no, no, you were here for the other season finale. I was here for
2: the other season finale, but this was the first season I was here from start to end. Right.
0: Your yes. first official season fi- yes. finale, season fifteen, crazy fifteen. Actually,
2: this is technically my third. I was here for my first Oh,
0: that's right, that's yeah. right, yeah. Yeah, okay. But so you're introduction. you're officially you belong here, clearly, yes. officially. Well Thank welcome. You yes. And Sean, this is officially then your first Stevie Cancer Show season finale. That is correct. Yes. Well, how does it feel? Feels good. Feels really damn good. <laughs> Three hundred thirty-four shows. That's crazy. Yes. crazy. Amazing shows. stuff. Really stuff. Really good stuff. So, um, holidays are upon us. This is our last show. We will be taking a hiatus. Coming back January nineteenth with season sixteen.
2: Yes. Lots Very of exciting fun stuff. For Very season exciting.
0: 16. Season sixteen is is pretty well lined up already. Yes. Uh, months and months of goodness.
2: Yes. For you. Good stuff.
0: Um, and I'll be re-mentioning this at the end mm-hmm. of the show, but we are switching to a new podcast only model. Starting next season. So the show won't be live. We'll push it out there and let everyone know in advance that they can go to their iTunes whatnot or their Blog Talk whatnot or their SoundCloud whatnot and hit the update button and then everything will be delivered to you nice and clean. Yes? Yes. I think I said that correctly. Yes. In any case. Uh, what's going on with this? Uh, we have a Circle Surrogacy event happening?
2: Yes, there is going to be an event on January 15th, which is a Thursday, with Circle Surrogacy.
0: Here in New York, right? Yes,
2: it's in New York. However, we will be broadcasting live. Oh, wow. Uh, through Google Plus on Air, which is exciting. And it will also be available on YouTube afterwards. So that's some more news to come on that. So be on the lookout for it. But good and stuff. Circle happening.
0: Surrogacy being the largest dominant the organization in the country, servicing yeah. the young adult cancer community.
2: Yes, and we're going to be focusing on surrogacy for survivors.
0: All right. Well, yeah. keep your eyes out. This is, I assume, on Facebook and our
2: yes, New York we'll group. Yes, we'll be posting it on Facebook and our New York group and any, anywhere else we can.
0: Fantastic, fantastic. And, uh, Sean, how's everything going with you? Good. Good. With the, uh, We just did some massive fundraising and some talk radio. No, no, we did a phone and a direct mail piece, all these amazing things for the organization that you helped sort of give birth to, yeah, they've done well.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: we're still tallying up the totals, but um, a lot of raised for uh, Stupid Cancer, and that allows us to put on the programs that we put on. So um, lots of progress and, and more good stuff to come. And, of course, given that this is our year-end, uh, last show of the year and our year-end appeals, we encourage all of our listeners to support Stupid Cancer Show with a, a donation, tax-deductible donation, anytime at Cancer dot org slash give that is correct well in any case we had a relatively sad weekend I wanted to take the uh, next half of the opening segment to uh, talk about Annie Goodman our former co-host here on the radio show who passed away last week and we went to her services and uh, gave our our final thoughts to her Um, she was memorialized very well by friends and family standing room only I think that speaks to her character standing room only um at the uh the um the chapel. Yes,
2: Star, of David, Star of David Chapel. Star David
0: Chapel in West Babylon, Long Island. Um truly sad. As she was diagnosed with uh, metastatic uh she was BRCA positive, triple negative breast cancer which spread to her ovaries and eventually took her took her life. Um but she was pretty fierce, pretty fierce. And uh she joined I think her entry point to the organization, and I'm going to play this now, um, her entry point, she came to OMG 2013 East in New York in September of 2013, and it was transformative for her, as, as it tends to be when people come to these things, and she reached out to me probably a week later saying, uh, what can they do to help, I want to get involved, I work for Fox, I'm doing these things, I want to help, and at the time, my current co-host was Parting Ways, going to get a, a more grander job, I suppose, you know, because this is a... Slightly grand job, much grander job. And I said, how'd you like to fill in the holes and come into uh, the show and be my co-host? She's like, are you kidding me? So starting in January, I'm sorry, I take this back. This was 2012. This was OMG 2012 East in New York. So starting in January of 2013, she became the official co-host of the Stupid Cancer Show. And she hosted the show for a good 18 months. Yeah. A good 18 months and then... It took its toll, and she had to part ways with the show to be with her friends and family toward the end. But Kenny, my co-founder again, he's often a happy birthday. Kenny, 28 years old, um, unearthed the show that Annie was first on as a guest, not co-hosting. Um, and I want to play uh, a few minutes of just your opening se- segment here. Um, ironically, Maura, Tina, Maura, Maura Tierney there we go, was on the show as our primary guest talking about the myths and facts of chemotherapy. And that was exactly where Annie was in her space right now, dealing with all the challenges of navigating living with cancer, and uh, triple negative cancer is a bitch, can be completely cured and then show up aggressively like a week later, which it did in her case. But here is Annie Goodman on the Stupid Cancer Show in uh, October of, uh, of 2012. That's uh, Here we go. Anyway, let's get to our first guest. She's been very patient waiting here in the wings. But uh, I first met you, were you OMG
5: 2013?
6: Uh, no, it
0: was a, I was at the OMG. On Gala? Oh, yes, east, yes. East, east, east. Um, anyway, Andy Goodman is a stage two triple negative breast cancer survivor who managed treatment with Havitan and the Yankees. Let's hear all about that. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Center, Annie Goodman.
5: you
4: well. Thank you. Get that a lot? Yes, sometimes.
5: Uh, so I was diagnosed in February. This and, year. Yeah. So Congratulations. Yeah. So I had a double mastectomy and reconstruction in March. Right. I finished chemotherapy uh, tomorrow. It'll be three weeks ago. Okay. I had uh, 16 rounds of chemotherapy. Where were you treated? I was treated at NYU. Okay. It just in New York City. I live in New York City, and uh, I started radiation today. Wow. Yeah. And you're still here. I'm still here. <laughs> this
0: is your your post radiation. Yeah, I went straight to after party.
5: Yeah, I went straight to work and then I uh, came here. Well, let's let, let's go
0: back to the beginning then. You, mm-hmm. All right. So, what were you doing in January of this year before you were diagnosed? January. Tell us about your life.
5: Yeah. So I, you know, I'm a TV producer and I was living a pretty normal life, living in New York City. Very, you know, just going about hanging out it's my the friends, daily grind. the daily grind, going out my friends, complaining about. The normal things that 30-year-olds complain about. York, how much everything costs, you know, yep. couldn't get a cab on the Upper East Side. It was raining out. My train was late. The normal stuff that you complain about living in New York City. Right. And um, Did you go to school for broadcasting? I did. I did. Where you go to school? I went to Tennessee Tech University. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah.
0: One of Kenny's favorite cities is Nashville. Yes.
5: Okay. It's An hour from Nashville. Right. Excellent. Yeah. You can't beat it. Yeah. And then, uh, so anyway, January was fine. And then February came along. Was getting ready to meet my friends and had an itch. I scratched it. I felt a lump uh, on my breast and was a little bit shocked. Didn't know what it was. Never felt it before. And went on Google. Said you know up to Doctor Google. Yes, Doctor <laughs> Google told me that 85% of breast cancer lumps are benign. Right. So I was thought everything was fine. I thought it was a cyst.
0: Was was breast cancer your first thought when you felt no, something? not what at all. Say, any history in your family? Nope,
5: no history. I thought it was a cyst. Yeah, and I Had you uh, been doing
0: any regular breast exams in the past? No. Okay.
5: No, because I, I you get when you know as a woman you go to the gynecologist once a year they right. do, and then I thought you know when I'm 40 I'll start going for mammograms and right. like a normal start, person yeah, yeah like a normal person and I uh, felt a lump and I kept poking at it and I was like well this has got to be nothing. And then, but you know, I'm kind of a hypochondriac. I am a Long Island Jew, so nice. I figured, you know. Wait, you said the magic words.
3: <laughs>
0: this is like the, when the secret word comes down on Pee Wee's Playhouse. All right. What's and, that? with secret word? Well, Pee Wee's Playhouse in the '80s. Remember? Yeah. Am I to alter this? All right. There are my. There I am updating myself. But uh, rest in peace, Andy Goodman. A moment of silence, please. Let's kick off our show, folks. Joining us here live in studio, Keith Walker, director, screenwriter, and playwright known for his autobiographical short, "Chemo: A Love Story. He currently has wrapped the first season of his new web series, uh, "Chemo Sabi. You found him on Twitter. He is the man sitting in front of me right now. Please welcome to the stupid cancer,
6: Mr. Keith Walker. Sir, sir, thank you so much for having me.
0: It's always so fascinating to meet people that I meet on the Internet that oh. aren't like, you know, eHarmony, <laughs> being a married father of two. Um, <clears throat> but I'm, I'm so taken with your your passion and what you're doing, and, and it's so resonant of how sort of the younger generation really responds to cancer. We're very proactive. We're, we wear it on our shoulder for all the right reasons. It's black humor, tongue-in-cheek. Um satirical, stick poking. Yeah. And you are no exception to that. So let's let's talk about your 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 cancer story here.
6: Sure. Uh so uh I was diagnosed uh with a rare blood cancer called multiple myeloma, uh February two thousand eight. Uh so I guess technically I'm still waiting for my five year cancer because it's a leap year. <laughs> uh, so um Game Universe. <laughs> Uh, So, multiple myeloma, what it is, it's an incurable blood disease where lesions can form along the bone. And it's funny, uh, when I was first diagnosed with cancer, uh, I didn't instantly cry. I instantly, my instinct was to go for the joke uh, first. Right. And so my first thought was, uh, so I guess this is going to be the the best diet ever. Okay, right. this is going to be amazing. Wait, what, did
0: you have traditional symptoms at this age? Because like you said, it's, it's primarily geriatric disorder.
6: Exactly, yeah. What were your actual symptoms, and did the doctors even take you oh, seriously? Oh, y- y- that's the thing. Yeah. Not really. I, I kept feeling like, I kept bruising very right. easily. Mm-hmm. And I brushed my hand up against a theater door once, and I was in pain. And my friends were saying, what's wrong? And right. I had to leave. How old were you? Um, God, I was 25. Wow. And uh, this is how I... How I found out I was doing a stand-up show at the New York Comedy Club, and in the middle of my set, I just fell, just passed out. I Did was, the audience I, think it was part of the bit? I guess so. <laughs> I'll never know if I got right. a standing <laughs> over ovation. I'll never know. Um, so they were standing over your body, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it was, you know, I was in the hospital for about three days before I, you know. I, How do
0: they check? Blood tests?
6: How do they, yeah. Yeah, yeah blood test, uh, but they couldn't figure out what it was. Right. You know, it's, it's one of those uh, cancers that it's just very hard to figure out. And um, like I said, three days, uh, I was told I had to stay there for a while. And so about two weeks in the hospital, not really knowing what's going on. Just like a prisoner. Yeah, exactly. Wow. I was like, can I take a shower? Wow. And uh, they wrapped uh, something around uh, the needle so I wouldn't, you know, remove it. Right. And,
0: uh <laughs> ones all over the cuckoo's nest, see me.
6: Yeah, exactly. No privacy at all. And, uh, yeah, and I found out from uh, Dr. Patel that I uh, had, you know, multiple myeloma. And it's funny, you know, they come in there with, like, dozens of students around them. Yeah, you're, like, and, being inspected. Exactly. I yeah. felt like I was at a Coliseum, you yeah. know, and uh that's when he so casually told me what I had.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, he
6: <laughs> has multiple myeloma. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh Like I said, um I was whopping 275, and so that's why I was like, oh, best diet ever. Yeah. I only lost like 10 pounds. The weight came off afterward, after my doctor used to make fun of me for being so big. Um and I also thought I was gonna like, you know, I was imagining how good I could possibly look going bald. Right. You know, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna look like Sam Jackson. <laughs> no, 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 no. Maybe I look like Kojak. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, who
0: loves Hello, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah right.
6: exactly. Um but yeah, uh so Were
0: you single parents in the city, family around?
6: No, uh, all my parents and family are back in Oklahoma. Oh wow!
0: And so you're flying solo this whole time? Did they come to visit? Your friends?
6: Uh, I know. I kept it a secret for six months. Whoa! I lived way out in Brooklyn, so I was like, oh, nobody will come see me. Wow! You know, but I kept running out of excuses.
0: Did you keep it a secret on purpose? Cause you were embarrassed, or didn't want to yeah. get in trouble, or thought you might lose gigs or
6: friends? Yeah. I thought it was toxic shame. I was so terrified wow. that I'd lose my gigs. I would lose uh, some friends. I was really scared, really, wow. really terrified.
0: So you took to what you do best, write what you know,
6: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and you sure.
0: put pen to paper and you started to put together this chemo love story. Yeah. Again, like this idea of young people being very expressive and satirical and stick poking. This is a classic example of young adults dealing with this. Tell us what went through your mind when you decided I need to write this down, or was it just a natural extension of what you would do?
6: Oh my gosh! So I was, uh, I, I, was I was talking to Cindy, of the film. It's it's the love interest in the film. It's a true story. And uh, before she passed away, she was helping me write it. But I was so angry, and I couldn't. I just I just couldn't get what I needed. And so after she passed away, I was like, this is, you know. It, Love. I need to write about love and our relationship. And I remember watching Woody Allen's Annie Hall, which is one of my favorite movies, and there's a beautiful line, and that's all I needed to to hear to jumpstart this mission of mine. It was, um, the line is, we're always trying to get things right through art that we couldn't in life. And that just punched me in the face.
0: Wow, yeah, that's true. My favorite Woody Allen one is I don't mind death. I just don't want to beat it when it happens.
6: <laughs> that's
0: <Right. laughs> <laughs> yeah, a good one. So, um, so again, who, who was this woman who passed away?
6: Uh, her name was uh, Cindy, and uh, I met her um, the, at the hospital, and um, we would just, talk for hours, have these conversations. And I was, I wasn't very unruly when I got there, but I was still in a very, in a denial phase. I was sure. like, no, I'm this is not happening. And I remember just one night I was in a, like a lot of pain and she, you know, she came into my room to check on me to see what's going on. And I instantly fell in love with her right there.
0: She was a patient as well. Yeah. Did she also have cancer?
6: Yeah. She, she did end up passing, uh, sadly. And, Another great thing about film, and uh, I, I feel like I could make her live forever. Of course. And that's, yeah, people will know who she is, what she meant to me, and I hope that this is a part of her legacy.
0: Well, the film did well. You were in a couple of film festivals, yeah. and, and let's let's talk about its notoriety.
6: <laughs> oh, my gosh. I, I'm going to credit Chantal Ayong for that, her beautiful cinematography, and Justin Liddell's. Music, their score, it's it's very beautiful. Her cinematography is very beautiful. She saw a play because it was a play first that right. I wrote. And she saw the play and she thought it was really great. And we discussed uh, how we can make it into a film. Um, also, I, I just wanted to be able to give something to her parents as well. You know, this is what your daughter meant to me.
0: And so how is this film distributed? Where can people oh, watch it,
6: uh, sure. download it, uh, buy
0: it? <laughs>
6: uh, they can go to Vimeo, or they can even just Google uh, "Chemo a Love Story." Uh, the SEO is strong with that one for some reason. <laughs>
0: the force is strong. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
6: So yeah, so uh, "Chemo a Love Story" on Vimeo,
0: and and you've now taken to uh, sort of Webisotics, If <laughs> I can make up a word here, uh, "Chemosabi" is is a word I've heard a lot, but I've never heard it used quite in this way. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's it's. Very appropriate. Tell us sure. about your web series.
6: Sure. So uh Kemosabe is a dark comedy about a man no longer in a mission who is forced to start treatment. He decides Again. To, yes. Again. To, yes. Yes. Uh he decides to use this as an opportunity to reconnect with his sister, and death just happens to be his best friend. <laughs> like on the family guy. Yeah, exactly. Just like the family guy. Exactly, exactly. right. right. <laughs> Uh, so the idea for kimasabi came from like late night conversations with my roommate. I know, it must have been four or five in the morning. Anyway, we began to talk about the lack of movies and shows that deal with people in their twenties and thirties living with cancer. Uh, another note we wanted to hit on is what's it like for family members and friends of the cancer patients? We never really see or hear their struggle in all of this. Right. Of this. It's you know it's funny. You're really you're either really young and innocent and have cancer or a cynical, love-lorn teenager who has cancer. Or maybe you're in that Cynthia Nixon wit category where you're older, wiser, and you still have cancer. But what about that middle area?
0: Right, where it's not a sob story.
6: Yeah, exactly. Like, I got bills to pay. Like, this is (laughs) real. You know, how do I get a date
0: on a Friday night? (laughs) Right, this is the young adult story. I mean, we, we like to talk here that it's we're no better or any more special than anyone else that's going through this, but it's very different, there. and that's why it's different. May I ask you if you
6: had any discussions around fertility preservation? Oh, actually, uh, well, you mean like actually with like the women I was dating? No. Or I, like in the show, are we going to have like
0: – Well, I mean, art ever life sometimes. Sure. When you were diagnosed, did they encourage you to bank your sperm in the event that all these treatments might make you infertile?
6: Yeah, they did, yeah.
0: Are you embarrassed by that?
6: No, I'm not really embarrassed by that. It's just, limit. I'm not Thank embarrassed. the new hotness, man. <laughs> I'm not, listen, I, to get privacy, to rock off in the bathroom during my diagnosis, I had to go to the bathroom with that, the pole, Yeah, okay? yeah. <laughs> you know, but.
0: Uh, and it's very different for women, but for guys, it's pretty tough mentally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> I, I'm
6: always afraid of that. Like, right. I, I, there is no protocol to telling a girl, you know, I have cancer, and then trying to, you know, thinking about spending the rest of your life with someone. I'm, you know, I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of cautious and still trying to figure out myself where is that line? Like, when can I say this? When can I say, hey, my genes could be possibly messed up and it can affect children that we could have in the future?
0: Right. And that never gets old. That conversation happens every day. And whether it happens internally that you don't have an answer for, or you meet somebody that you can talk to about it, or you meet somebody who understands what you're saying, we have now, I think, three or four married couples who met through the young adult cancer world. I mean, that's a small percentage, of course, but that is the tie that binds sometimes, where you might meet a young woman. I mean, you did. You did. I'm sure she was uh, completely forgiving of the fact that you are compromised and going through whatever. Definitely. You know, that's sometimes you need that.
6: Yeah, sure, sure. You know, a couple things we'll be discussing is, you know, how to date someone with cancer. uh, How do you make sure you're not using your diagnosis to be a dick? Right. (laughs) You know, and most importantly, you know, just how do people come to grips with their own mortality when they're suddenly reminded that they will not live forever? right? You know, and there's also the rivalry part of it, you know. Like I've heard people make fun of each other for you know not having hair or having Indian hair and it's just ridiculous.
0: Right. Well I mean so let's talk about the stigma then. I mean you are you are basically talking about you you being the stigma. Right. What do you what would you say would be the most uncomfortable conversations you had to have?
6: Oh, man. The most uncomfortable was being kicked out of my apartment because he thought I was contagious.
0: Oh, my goodness.
6: I came home from a show in Los Angeles, and uh, I threw out a bunch of paperwork because I just had trunks, just suitcases full of just paperwork I was trying sure, to get rid of, and I sure. had some of those documents in there. Oh, okay. Apparently, he went through them. Uh, he
0: went through your trash?
6: He went through my trash.
0: That's disgusting. disgusting.
6: Yeah, I only known this guy for maybe 2 weeks cuz I had to do this show in California. Sure, sure. And uh so I came back and was sitting uh he calls me out to the porch and he he says Keith, I need to talk to you. Uh are you contagious? Oh god. And I'm like, "Contag- what do you mean?" He's like, right. I-, "I know what, I know what I'm buying for Christmas. <laughs> a shredder." <laughs> yeah, that's that. <about> uh, <laughs> but I it's ridiculous because he then looks at me and says, I don't believe you, and I can't take that chance, so I need you to go. Wow. And I'm just like, what? I was like, I'm not going to cough on you and give you cancer. This is It's a blood disease, sure, but this is yeah. like, I'm not going to give it to you.
0: That's and he says, just in- insane.
6: Can't take that chance. Yeah, and that was wow. awful. I was homeless for a little bit, bouncing from friend to friend, still trying to keep it a secret. And, whew. It was rough.
0: Wow. So I assume, I'm mean, again, like life imitates art, imitates life. I mean, just even the show Red Band that we're talking about tonight, we've been sure. talking about Chasing Life, they're all based on real stories. And I can only assume, true to form, you are continuing to extrapolate your life into this web series.
6: Definitely. You know, this will not be a glossy show. It's going to be, like, shameless. Yeah. You know, having cancer sucks. And the comedy comes from the absurdity of the situations the characters are put in. You know, no, we're this is a genre show as well. So, cause, well, death is a character, so it gave me an excuse to use green screen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wanted to show something fantastic. Yeah. But yet still have, you know, drama drive the series. Sure. You know, we have uh, a Twilight Zone-themed episode. Uh, we're going to have um, a Romero-themed zombie episode. Um, Caesar Romero? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it just I'm excited. I'm just really excited.
0: I've had this. I'll, I'll ingratiate for a second. I've always had this. Um, I was I was a theater major also. Mm. Um, I, I, I'm a musician, so I didn't really. I'm not a thespian. I, I was the pit band guy uh, for the musicals. But I've always had this like idea of a show. It's really just like a 10 minute show. It doesn't matter. But it's like some guy gets diagnosed with the exact same thing every decade for the last hundred years. And it just plays out in the waiting room with the doctor, what that, what the language was in 1910 with cancer, 1920 with cancer. And like the first 50 years, he just dies in the doctor's room, <laughs> like screaming agony. And like in 20 years from now, it's like Star Trek, where he goes, boop, you're cured. <laughs> uh, I, I just,
6: That's gold, Jerry. That's I just do
0: yeah, I'm just going to indulge. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. Um, so where can people again this is all on the web, the Kemosabe, yes. Are you tweeting it as well?
6: Yes. Uh you could uh go to our website, uh TV, watch our prologue.
0: Kemosabi TV.
6: Yep. TV. Um uh you can check me out on uh Twitter, Keith Walker four five six. And uh also on YouTube, you can uh subscribe to that damn cat productions. Nice. And uh <laughs> and please, please thank you. Please subscribe to us there. We're trying to get uh, 5,000
0: uh, subscribers. Nice. So, what is your few minutes left? What is your message to other young people going through this situation?
6: Oh man, experience life. That is definitely just experience life because when you can experience life, you'll be able to live fully, and also you will have a you'll you'll be encouraged to tell your own story and live on your own terms. You know, don't keep it a secret. You know, use that as a way to educate those who don't know. Yeah.
0: So multiple myeloma yes. at at twenty five. Yes. And you're coming up on five years?
6: Yep, about yeah.
0: And are you on a trial? Are you – how are you managing this? Is uh, the, the, new, the new medicines out there for this?
6: Yeah, there's something called Revlimid. Right. Revlimid is great. Um, gosh, Jim, God bless his soul. Uh, it's interesting because um, my best friend who helped me create this series, uh, his girlfriend at the time had multiple myeloma too.
0: Oh, my goodness. And wow. so it
6: was just like he was getting it from like – You were like a in. magnet, dude. Pause. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and so – it was great because I got contacted with him, and he was able to tell me about these trials. Tell me about Revlimid. Tell me about, uh, you know, what to take and, and the, also the uh, side effects of them. Wow. Um, and Revlimid was the best one.
0: So you're not cured, you're living with cancer, I'm living with which it. is the new normal, apparently. Yeah. People don't seem to understand that cancer can be just this thing you live with. Yeah. I have a friend who's battling stage four lung cancer Mm -hmm. and he has to go for chemotherapy every two weeks, but it's like, uh, it's just a a small drip for a few hours and a pill and his cancer never gets worse and it never gets better. Mm. He just lives with it in his body and, and that's it. It's remarkable that this is progress, right? This is real progress. Yeah. Yeah. So kudos to you, man. Really great stuff. Very brave, very forward thinking. Thank you so much. Um, we're talking with Keith Walker here who is the, uh, Screenwriter, playwright, and uh, director, I guess, of his autobiographical short, Chemo, a Love Story, searchable on Vimeo, and his new web series, Chemosabi. You're sticking around for the rest of the show, so thanks yeah. for joining us, and, and you'll be ch- chiming in anytime. Keith Walker.
3: <laughs>
0: All right, this is the point of the show when I say, okay, Kenny, let's hit up the news, but he's not here, so okay, Matt, let's hit up the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events happening nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we don't want you missing out. We've got meetups happening at events.stupidcancer.org. Check it out today. And if you'd like to host your own Stupid Cancer meetup, go to stupidcancer.org slash meetup. Cancer is lonely. We've got a cure for that. We're talking about Instapier, our free mobile app that brings instant, anonymous, one-to-one peer support for anyone affected by cancer. Instapier.org. Sign up to join our iOS beta testing community at Instapier.org. We've launched a news feed aggregator on Pinterest for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have time to post on social media. So check it out anytime at stupidcancer.org feed. Two more things. Cancer is expensive. We're proud to announce CancerMadeMeBroke.com, a national partnership with GiveForward, the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser for yourself. You didn't ask to get sick, and your community really does actually want to help you. Visit CancerMadeMeBroke.com to learn more and start your personal fundraiser today. And finally, it's always a good time to stock up on stupid cancer gear. Visit StupidCancerStore.com. Any time and stay nice and warm with all new products in our ever-famous hoodies. Awesome skateboards and flip the cancer bird, our latest plushy mascot, stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud, wear stupid cancer. And that is your final stupid cancer news for Season 15 of the Stupid Cancer Show. All right, we got a great lineup to end the show and the series. Best season ever. Joining us tonight... As I bring them up one by one, Wilson Cruz is an actor and activist best known for playing Ricky Vasquez on My Soul Club Life. He can currently be seen on Red Band Society as Kenji gomez rejon Nolan Satillo
1: is hey, also good. best
0: known for as Geordi on the Fox show Red Band Society. He's a talented singer, songwriter, and musician known for original songs and covers of hits. His music has been featured in Red Band Society and is available on iTunes. And following up, one of the veterans, the original guests of the Stupid Cancer Show going back to two thousand and seven, Margaret Nagel. Emily Emily eh, Emmy Award winning Writers Guild nominated screenwriter and television producer, former actress, cult hit my so-called life. Currently she serves as executive producer of Red Band Society. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Nolan Satillo, Wilson Cruz, and Margaret Nagel. Hey guys.
4: Hi.
0: Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I, I just have to start with the serendipity of having Margaret back on the radio show after six years. Margaret was guest number four on the radio show in mid June of 2007 when she was producing, executive producing, the Lifetime show Side Order of Life and how things are so coming full circle to have you back on the air today, Margaret.
1: Oh, it's so great to be here, Matthew. I can't believe you. You're amazing. I it's so our lives have come together again.
0: It's phenomenal. I I gotta tell you the history of that show, even today, resonates with so many people who remember it. It made such a difference. And just to set the stage, pun intended, for tonight's broadcast, that show actually set the stage for so many programs and films that came right after it. So Again, retroactive. Yeah, it did. For that
1: it did. It was. It was the. And I. I don't think Wilson and Nolan even know about it. But I did another show. I did a show about someone living with cancer, not dying with cancer. And it was before the L Word and before so many other projects that were really uh, the L Word. Even opened with a line for, sort of a tribute to our pilot. And she orders dessert first, in the nail word, which is how our pilot started, a woman ordering dessert before the main course. And uh, so it's very, it's been, and I. it's so funny, Matthew, I just ran into an executive at Lifetime, and she was like, We should never have canceled that show. Oh my God, what a mistake. And I'm like, Ugh. <laughs> The fans <laughs> knew it. The fans still, to this day, I hear from fans all the time. But what can you do? Life goes on, and here we are with Red Band Society.
0: I know it's it's such a great precedent. And again, Wilson and, and Nolan, like Margaret, has such a rich history of kind of disrupting what people are expecting to have from a pop culture and a reality perspective. So this show is no, you know, is just a is is another great example of her vision for doing these amazing things.
4: Absolutely, I, I you know I know Margaret's, um, you know, very passionate about. Telling the truth about people's lives in when they're dealing with with cancer or or you know any any um, struggle in their lives and you know she she single handedly almost doubled the number of people with disabilities on network television this year so with Red Band so um, you know she has a lot to be proud of and I, I know that I can speak for Nolan and I and the whole cast when we say we're so grateful to her for for the vision that she set she set up for us.
0: Right. So, Thanks, honey. Wilson,
4: <laughs> I, You're welcome
0: talk, yes, exactly. Well, Wilson, so uh, I want to talk to you and Nolan specifically about how do you prepare to play a character like this, which is so emotionally draining when you get into it. And, you know, we we work with other shows and know other actors that get into character, and they always feel a little bit of guilt that they, they're able to turn it off when they go to bed at night. Uh, I'd love to hear from both of you and your perspectives on getting into these roles and, and coming from completely different spaces in entertainment to this particular show.
3: I'll let Nolan go first. <laughs> Alright, um well again uh thanks for thanks for having us tonight. Um but I think I think the most um the most pressing thing for me was to, to bring truth to to the role of majority and not just in the sense that you know like not overacting and things like that, but actually like Something that's that's grounding and that that's real and that and that was fairly easy to do when when I first came in with with Margaret. No, it was great to work with her because the the character Jordy is so driven to live, even though he's in such a dire situation and he's in need of of a doctor's help. So I think a lot of the preparation just went into into researching what what my sickness, what my character Jordy had, and he had well, at least he, at first he thought he had osteosarcoma, and it turned to the ewing sarcoma. And um I think the most thing for me was just making sure that I was educated and then of course, I mean, even even in the last this last episode we were shooting with some people who were who were in wheelchairs and of course I felt I did feel some guilt because I could you know, we'd shoot and then I'd be able to get up and walk and you feel kind of weird that, you know, it's just a job and it's just it's just acting but I think I think that's kind of a cool thing about the show is that it's at least making people aware that people can still live life and still, you know, be empowered even, even in these situations.
0: Well said. Um, uh, well,
3: well. Yeah. And you know, as, as
4: far as, as my part, you know, I, I play one of the nurses on, on the show. So I, I'm take, I, I get to look at the other side of this, which is not just people living and with this, with, Diseases and and these circumstances, but their but their caregivers as well, and the the toll that it can take on on them as well, um, and on their lives. And I think that's true of nurses who I've spoken to, who you know you they have to um, develop a way for themselves to go to work and do the best that they can to be there for their patients and be present um, and and give the best care, but to also save themselves and their energy and their um their state of mind um so that when they walk out of there they can they can they can walk away from it um so that they can come back the next day and do it all over again um and you know for me it was it was as simple as falling in love with all of these kids in my own in my own personal life like i i just i i love them and so I, when i went to work uh and i was kenji it was very easy for me to um to portray someone who is who is um most um uh, uh the the thing on, on the, the the foremost in his mind is the the care that he can give them um and you know part of my job as Kenji is also to to lighten some of that load you know um i think you know anybody who's going through something like this needs um uh, you know, a, some lightness in their life every now and then. And I think Kenji provided that the opportunity for that, you know, we can't, you can't walk around all day crying about your circumstances. You have to live your life. And sometimes that, um, that, that really requires you to, to laugh. And I think Kenji um, really came to work every day, wanting to make his patients' lives better.
0: Right. And I really think you guys nailed the characters. It was Again, I mean, you're going to get both sides of the aisle here. We, we've seen this with every movie we've talked about with cancer in it, every TV show with cancer in it. There are going to be people who fall in love with it and people who don't like it because it isn't exactly their story. And when uh, we, we just did a show around uh, uh, the Chasing Life where the character finally went bald, and finally all the haters were like, oh, she's bald now. Thank God I can actually care about the show now. And it's so... Completely nuanced the receptivity, but from my perspective, and I want to bring this back to Margaret for a second, you are bringing to light an issue that people just tend to take for granted, which is their health when they're young. And Margaret, I want to just throw it back to you for a second because you have a history of doing amazing work around disease and shedding light on this and, and going back to even warm springs with FDR and polio. What compels you to kind of stay in this space and raise awareness? these these issues in the real world facing real people
1: well i mean one of the things i always talk about uh my brother when i talk about this because i have a brother who severed his brainstem in a car accident when he was two and so i grew up with him uh you know he had to learn to walk and talk and just do the most simplest things in life because he had a, a brainstem injury and uh he's he's a spastic quadriplegic and he's Lived an amazing, amazing life, and he 's still alive, but so I grew up with someone like that, but I actually one of the things I, I never talk about is that I grew up with very serious health issues my whole life that I never talk about because I always think well i didn 't sever my brain stem or um, you know i don 't have cancer but I have, a, I have a rare blood disease that affects me, and I also you know I have a plate in my head from a weird thing, and I have like a epstein bar i 've had mono three times, and so i 've always had to kind of. Um, do things differently. I've had to figure out ways where there were just days that were and weeks where I didn't get to go outside, and I, I d- wasn't able to travel and I wasn't able to go places because my health was so compromised and I had to be so careful. And it was interesting, I was reading about Laura Hillenbrand who wrote Seabiscuit and uh, Unbroken, who has chronic fatigue syndrome, and she talked about so much of her creativity stems from having to work around those limitations and I think that and how it's informed her and look at the stories she tells of survival and they're very inspiring and I think that I read that and I went you know I should actually be more honest about my own health and how it I always put it off on my brother and of course when you grow up with someone who's in that kind of shape you never complain about your own health or situation you never talk about it at least in my house I wasn't allowed to but so I think that this idea it is very personal to me having to deal with the hand you got Right, you got to deal with the hand you got. You can't sit and go, oh, why me or this or that. I mean, you can, but it doesn't take you very far. It's not. It's going to limit your growth. It's going to arrest your growth as a person. So this idea that life is to be lived and that survival is about many many things. And and you know, there's a line that Leo has in the pilot where he says to Charlie, um, luck isn't getting what you want, luck is surviving what you don't want, and I'm surviving. And I really feel that that is, you know, if FDR hadn't have had polio, he would never have been president, and he wouldn't have been the guy to take on Uh, Germany in World War II, ever. It just wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have created Social Security to help people out. He wouldn't have understood what a hard time was. He would never have uh, created a minimum wage or an eight-hour day or a five-day work week. Those are all things that came to him right out of his point of being disabled and not being able to have what he wanted when he wanted it. It shaped and formed him and made him a better person and a great leader. And I think that one of the things I wanted to tell with Red Band was – how remarkable and amazing people are. And the rest of the world uh, needs to wake up to that. And I also wanted to empower people who have gone through this experience and say, you are heroes. You're amazing. I'm not romanticizing this. I'm not, like, trying to, you know, I'm I, you know, Matthew, you know the way I am. I, I'm not, um, I don't know, I'm not using it for dramatic value. I'm trying to put light on a story that people are afraid to tell. And it was you know this amazing guy Albert Espinosa in uh, Spain, who had cancer, had osteosarcoma, was in the hospital for a decade. He's the one that sort of outed himself and this story. And I felt like I really wanted to continue what he had picked up when the, when the story came to me.
0: I mean, my my late brother-in-law passed away at nineteen from Ewing sarcoma in in two thousand and three. Um, and he was diagnosed at thirteen. He literally lived in the hospital for six years. so I related to this uh, to this show quite personally i mean the the televisionization and the fantasization a lot of these elements which make it what it is, only augmented either what we wished we could have done or what we, what we actually did in real life and how the literally this band of brothers, this red band society, as soon as I heard the name when it was going to be a show a couple of years ago. Um, it resonated because that was exactly what he went through in Nine East at NYU. Uh, question for Wilson and Nolan: Were you at all prepared for these characters? Were you aware in any way of the situations and the realities, the diseases that teenagers and young adults were going through, or has and and or has this show given you this enlightenment about advocacy and awareness for the health of youth?
3: Melon, do you want to go ahead first? Um, sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I I grew up, um, you know, in a, in a healthy family, and I was blessed to to grow up with that. So, I mean, I, I I truthfully wasn't that aware of of anything in in regards to you know cancer and other sicknesses, but as soon as I I read the script, and I felt like I had a connection to the character, and I and I thought that I was gonna have a chance to be yeah. on this. Um, incredible show! I knew I had to do my research, and and I feel like the show has given me an opportunity to become, you know, to become a different person, and it's changed who I am, you know, because I feel like, I mean, I'll tell a story, I guess, about, about myself, and I guess I'm sure other people have experienced it as well. It's like, like like when you're, you know, anywhere in public, and you see someone in a wheelchair, you kind of, you don't know how to how to talk to them or you don't, you don't want to talk to them about what happened or anything. And, and I've had, and I've had those moments, but after the show, I mean, we were able to go and visit hospitals and visit kids and, and get to know them. And they're just they're, I mean, they're kids and they're, they're just going through a horrible situation, but they're fighting and that makes them know, and they're no different than us in that sense. And now I see, if I see somebody like that, I, I feel like, Instead of me, you know, sh- like not shunning them, but like shying away from from talking to them because of their, because of how they are, and now I I feel the need to to ask because sometimes people want to tell their story and sometimes people want to, want people to ask rather than just kind of hinder away from them. So I feel like it's changed me and it's it's really enlightened me and I hope and I hope that the show has enlightened others about about it as well. Um, it's. As far as I'm, I'm concerned, you know,
4: it, I I think that it, it truly did open my my eyes to, um, you know, a, a population of young people who were dealing with, um, uh, you know, unbelievable um, circumstances, uh, and it, it was incredibly moving to me. And and part of my own research was. Um, talking to my my cousins who are I have two cousins who are nurses um and and one of them works in pediatric she's a pediatric nurse and um so i i, I spoke to her a lot and really got her perspective on it um and and what you know cuz most of my experience um with patients in hospitals was because of my um you know i'm i'm 40 years old i grew up in Basically, my teenage years were the beginning of the AIDS crisis, and I've volunteered in AIDS hospices, and, um, and you know, and I've um, delivered meals, and you know, that was my that was that was the the health crisis of my youth, right? And I I wanted to help as much as I possibly could, and so, um, but I do remember at, you know at one point um, having to the, the deliver meals to. A family of um, uh, that that had a child who, because of a blood transfusion, had contracted HIV, and um, and that was really shocking to me. And I and I remember, um, I, I know that throughout this experience, I've thought about about him um, because I remember how that made me feel and how how much I wanted to help as much as I possibly could. Um, but you know, I think that as as caregivers there's so much of this that we we try to control our our feelings right because just you know we we feel like there's so much that we need to do in order to help people um and so we can't let our emotions get the best of us we need to get what's done so that we can make people's lives better um but you know i, I think that as hard as you try that's impossible to do at all times and um I think the actors on this show really took it upon themselves to um, really um, embody these experiences, and um, and they affected me in in a huge way. Um, and and you know, I spent some time here at the Los Angeles Children's Hospital, and and that was really moving. To see the parents and the children there um, and to talk to them about what their experiences were. So, you know, I, I, I'd have to say that it, it, this whole experience um, has opened my eyes.
0: Margaret, you, you have a history of working with only stellar casts. I'm sure this was no exception from you know, that experience, but can you talk about how you found the, the talent and what it's been like to work with them on such a passionate series?
1: Well, uh, the great thing about uh, it was so much fun to cast the show, and it was a lot of work to cast the show. Wilson, I was on my so-called life, so I've known Wilson since he was, you know, 19 years old. So uh, the casting director brought him up to me, Cami Patton, who's amazing, and uh, and I said. She said, what if we bring him in? I'm going to bring him in tomorrow with a bunch of other people. And I said, oh, no, 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 my God, just cancel the other people. We'll just cast Wilson. That's perfect. So he was, and then with Nolan, um, Nolan uh, was a discovery. And Nolan was, we couldn't find our Geordie. And uh, and I'll come back around to him, but he was the greatest discovery. Octavia was the first person we cast. She was looking for the right project. She read the script. She took a meeting. The two of us sat and talked, and she said, I'll do it. Right then and there in the room, and uh which was thrilling and then um Zoe Levin, we found her, she was doing a play in New York, and ironically, Rebecca Rittenhouse, who was Nurse Brittany, was her understudy, so uh we saw both of them and uh cast them both. they were phenomenal, and then Charlie Rowe, who plays Leo, we saw a tape of him from London. And uh, he was definitely our Leo, and that was – we. there was no second choice for Leo. He was the only choice for Leo, and that's how – Zoe was the only uh, choice for Kara. Um, Jesse uh, Ennis was the only choice for Watergirl. She's now got a huge part on Veep. Um, it's been – she's just taken off. Um, and then uh, – uh, it was interesting with Astro. We were going a different direction for that part, and then Cami Patton showed me a tape of him, and I was like, "I want him. He, that's. I want that kid. That kid's incredible. He comes right off the, st- the screen." And it was really Sierra Bravo as Emma, and and Nolan as Jordy, that were the two hardest parts to cast. And um, we found Sierra, and she was just such a incredibly enigmatic face, and sort of. You know, you could read so many emotions into those eyes, and she, she has the feeling of someone who's really hiding something and yet is really wants to be found. And then Nolan came in... Uh We'd seen a hundred Geordies. I'm not kidding you. And Nolan came in, and it was pouring rain on a Saturday, and we made this extra special meeting, and he came in, and the guitar was sitting there, and the guitar was for the actors auditioning for Charlie's dad, because you remember he plays the guitar in the pilot, and Kara tells him he sucks. And so Nolan was like, can I pick up the guitar? And we were like, yeah, sure, you play guitar? He goes, yeah. He sits down and just starts singing. And Cammie and I look at each other and we're like, "Oh my God, it's Geordie. That's Jordy! How, how, oh my God, this is like..." And then um, we called Steven Spielberg and he was like, well, "Hang on a second, you know, let me look at this tape, you know, you, you, you know, I'm the..." And then we showed it to him and and we were like, um, "You need to show it to your wife and kids and your whole family, cause... And he was like, "He goes, he's so different than what you conceive the part." I said, "I know, but he's the part." that's the kid I want to write for. I want to write for him. And then luckily he showed it to his whole family, and they were all like, oh, my God, he's so great, he's so great. And so that's how Nolan got the part. And He was the last person we cast. I mean, we could not make this show without a Jordy. It's just it was too important. And then he had to be able to work with, with Leo and, and Astro. That chemistry needed to be there between those guys, and, and they had that in spades. And then also, you know, the connect. Him and Sierra Bravo, and he just had chemistry to spare. And one of the things is Nolan just came in and worked his ass off. He just worked. He went to hospitals. He just, this this guy is is just, he's a born actor, and he just threw himself, heart and soul, into the part. And we just felt, oh, God, so lucky to find him.
3: Thank you, Margaret. <clears throat>
1: mm-hmm.
2: Uh, this is Mallory here. I actually have a question for Nolan and Wilson. What are some of the more difficult scenes that you've had to film that just impacted you in a way that you didn't
4: expect?
3: <sighs> Wilson, you can go first, son. <laughs> <laughs> um
4: well, you know, part part of you know, the the my part in the show is also the relationship between all of the nurses. Um and there was a scene in the bathroom when I was in the women's bathroom with, with Octavia. And I think this happens a lot where, you know, we, we, as nurses, you, you go, you, the day is a hard day, you know, and you really need your coworkers to sometimes pull you up and pull you out of, um, you know, uh, if you're having a bad day. And I, I was surprised at how, um, how how much this scene in the bathroom where I'm where I'm talking to Octavia about or Nurse Jackson about why she does what she does and why it's important why we need her and why we love her and how the, how much that affected me and you know you you create this um this this real base of um, support for each other so that you can do the best work you can do and and I loved that about the show too that it was it was about the, the patients but it was also about the people. Oh who worked at this hospital who loved what they did and loved each other. And that, that was really moving to me.
3: And I think, um, I mean, there's other, other. I mean, there's, there's definitely like certain scenes that, you know, had to hit harder because of the fact that, you know, I mean, yeah, when you're acting and you, you're, you're taking the role of Jordi and trying to, I mean, you, you're, you're, you're saying to yourself, like you're being diagnosed with cancer. Like, you you you're imagining all these these past events that have happened and i think one of the hardest scenes to do was i think it was episode 3 at the time or maybe maybe it was yeah i think it was 3 and the doctor comes in and tells me you know like you know i look down and my leg's still there when i was supposed to have it taken off and all of a sudden I'm, I'm super excited but i'm i'm still kind of under painkillers and and I, I fall back asleep and and Dr. McAndrew played by Dave Annabelle, like, isn't able to tell me that the reason I got to keep my leg is because it, that the cancer's not in my bone. And when he finally tells me that, that scene was very, uh, there was a lot of work, I, I guess, done for that scene just, just as a matter of, like, just totally being in the moment and, and just, like, letting the world stop and just fall apart and, like, disintegrate right in front of you as he's speaking um, and telling you pretty much and telling you, telling you, your faith has changed. So, um, and, and and I, and I felt like it was my, not only my job, but kind of, I, I was kind of like you know holding the light and, and championing, you know this moment because people go through this and that. If I don't do this correctly, that that people aren't going to take me seriously or people aren't going to take the show seriously. So I, I kind of felt responsible to to honor honor the truth of of that moment.
0: I want to pull a a sentence from a review that I read, and I think this encapsulates at least how I feel, and I'm sure many, many other Mm -hmm. of the millions of viewers feel, um, that the the disconnect between fatal illness and living life uh, does not exist in this environment, which makes everything more real and and equally uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Nagel does a beautiful job by making one feel that even though you might have to lose your leg, you can still have a support group. And sickness is no laughing matter, but Nagel has somehow found a way to put a smile on our faces, even if you have tears running down your cheeks at the same time. And that is exactly what I would have wished the show was, and it delivered just on that. It's the balance of explaining that you have to live your life every step of the way, and there's always going to be a community there to help you get busy living. And, And, again... It was very. It's very moving, and it just keeps me going that this trajectory, this trend of pop culture-ishness and legitimate disease and storylines and love and community on TV, on the radio and film is transforming the way people understand that things really can be horrible and phenomenal at the same time. I think that... Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say my keys right there, but I, I, you guys have done a stellar job. Margaret, where are we with the show?
1: Well, first of all, who wrote that review? i got to know who <laughs> they are. I didn't read any of the reviews.
0: <laughs> it was from, um, uh, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll email you the link because it was a really, very Send me the link because
1: I, I didn't read any of the reviews at the time, so uh, that's nice to hear. Well, the show, you know, Rena Mamoon ran and wrote the show. I only wrote the pilot of the show. And so she took it in the direction that she wanted to take it in with these characters. And it, it's really her show now um, and the actor's show. What happened is that Fox was always going to make 13 episodes. That was always the plan. And they were worried if they made 16, there would be burnout like there was in the first season of Glee. So, but then they kind of went, oh, let's order four more scripts and uh, see where we are and then they decided no we're just going to do 13 which sent this like incredible you know uh terrible message out to red banders thinking oh my god it's canceled now it's not canceled they have not made up their mind the ratings were not the it's interesting the ratings never moved they didn't go down, they didn't go up, and they wished that they had, I think people were afraid of the show, to watch the show. There was this core group of people that just loved the show, and they never, uh, they stood by it the entire 13, you know, well, the, the last three I haven't been on, but they stood by it, and they've been really beautiful and intense and passionate. But um, the audience, grow and, and the audience also is watching it, on, you know, on their DVR. They're watching it on on Hulu. They're watching it on iTunes. You know, this is a generation that watches Red Band, and they don't watch TV the way a network wants you to watch TV. So if Fox doesn't re-up the show, my hope is that ABC Studios would be smart enough to either make it for Netflix make it for Disney Channel. They've got four stations now. They could make it for Lifetime. They own uh, half of Lifetime, ABC Disney. I mean, there are other ways. I could see uh, a cable network coming in and wanting to buy the show and allow it to run in its own way. Um, And it might be better for the show because it could be more honest. You know, there's a need for a network to – sometimes create conflict in more conventional ways, Matthew, that maybe if it was in a different kind of environment, uh, do you know what I mean? There's, there's always that fear from a studio and a network, because it was a network show. It wasn't a cable show. You know, those other cancer shows were all cable shows. So this is the first one to be in a network sphere. And the other thing that's different about this show is that it's a medical show that's about the patients. Not about and and or was meant to be about the patients and how like a day can feel like a year. So there's still a lot to be mined story-wise, and and I think that you know people that love this show they need to get big, they need to be loud, and they need to write mm-hmm. Fox uh, petition, write personal letters to people at the network and explain to them, get social, use their social media, tweet, you know, Facebook, everything they can and say we love this show, we want this show. Give us give us our red band.
0: Well, we we are on your side. We are in full support of the show and the message it sends and even though not everyone has cancer, which is never a requisite, of course, it sends that message. Young adults, adolescents, teenagers, they matter. Their lives are different, and this is how they act and behave when they're sick and this is what they need and it's, it's a new narrative. You've always been on kind of the, the fringe, a little ahead of where we kind of are. And I know. I know. My
1: agents are like, you're always too far ahead and then everybody's writing what you were writing like two or three years later and I'm like, I'm sorry. It's just sort of the way <laughs> um, I just, I, I wish I could, I wish I could be in the now and I wish I could have and I I do feel like, like it's interesting with my so-called life because and And Wilson can t- attest to this. There were only eighteen episodes ever made in my so called life. It was taken off the air three different times matthew it had It, it actually aired over three different seasons in three different time slots because they just kept pulling it off and putting it on and pulling it off and and you know everybody was you know driving or voting by the time it ended because it actually went over such an extended length of time and then when you talk to people now the life it's had because of mtv and itunes they're like oh my god it was such a a, a you know everybody was critically acclaimed and they loved it and i'm like no the show got <laughs> beaten to a pulp we finally yeah. had to give up because abc just would not go there they just wouldn't support how unique and beautiful the show was, but teenagers loved it, and then generations of teenagers continue to love it. Um, when I'm in writers' rooms now with other writers, they're so influenced by my so-called life that is like a, a ben- it's it's a benchmark for for writing, and everyone you know. So and then when I you know Wilson walks up, people are like, it's Ricky, 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 <laughs> and you'd never know. You'd think that Wilson starred in seven seasons of, you know, CSI or something, but no, he did 18 episodes of My So-Called Life, you know, over 10 years ago. So I, I want Red Band to have seven years like CSI and uh, and have that because I, I believe that it can, and I also think it'll play, it, you know, it's going to play around the world and, you know, teens, there's always a new audience to watch the show, which is the amazing thing. And there are tons of adults that watch the show too, by the way. So well,
0: my, my, I my comment yeah. is that being in the now is a waste of time. Being ahead of everyone is where it's supposed to be. And you, you, you roll with the punches because you knew you were there first.
1: Well, you roll with the punches, you do. And then, you know, everybody kind of looks back and uh, it's a, uh, uh, that was then, and this is now, and you know, you have you have to move on. And that's also the thing with with having had cancer. And when I talk to kids who've been sick, you know, it's also part of that adjustment. And and something I hope if the sh- show continues, how do you how do you deal with getting well? How do you deal with going back out there in the world? What is it like to be back out there in the world after you've been and you know what you know from having cancer? How do you fit back into your life? That's a whole other part of the story that I I would love to see explored.
0: Well, I I can't thank you guys enough uh, for, for coming on the show tonight. We're unfortunately out of time. But we could clearly have a show for like two hours and talk about all this stuff. Uh, <laughs> but you got, you have to
1: tell the audience has got to download Nolan's music on iTunes. It's amazing, and you've oh, got to go goodness. see Wilson as uh, uh, on my so-called life. If anybody hasn't watched it, besides being the most amazing Kenji, he looks exactly the same that he as he did when he was 19.
4: <laughs> I will
0: go wish that were true <laughs> and relive my life.
1: I, <laughs> you I'll, do. I'll,
0: yeah.
4: Well, well I, can been... I just say, in closing, you know, we, we're so grateful to everybody who has stuck with us through this, and and we hear you guys loud and clear, and we're so grateful um, to everyone out there who's who's making their voices heard, and um, you know, there's still hope out there, and we we um we hope to see you really very very soon.
0: Well, let's get our audiences uh, championing the continuation of, of of Red Band Society. Thank you all for joining us tonight, Wilson Cruz, Nolan Satillo from Red Band Society, and the wonderful, all-powerful Margaret Nagel, my best friend, uh, who got me on television for the first time. She dragged my ass to Burbank and got me on set to play my with the team that I wrote. And not many people can say that. <laughs> I like, thank you eternally you for You were
1: so good, it didn't, and if I was still writing Red Band, you'd be on Red Band. Uh, hopefully they'll discover you.
0: Oh, come on. Post-production made me look good. I was a train wreck that day.
1: So uh, I should have had you on Boardwalk Empire. What was I thinking? Oh, my God, you would be a great gangster.
0: Listen, you think uh, Steve Buscemi and Atlantic City Gangsters, you think the Jew from Brooklyn with the twins. (laughs) (laughs)
1: With the little babies on the boardwalk. All
0: right, count us in for the next show. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Happy holidays and happy New Year.
1: Thank you, Matthew. Thank Thank you, man. Bye guys. Okay. Bye. Bye guys.
4: Bye.
0: From Red Band Society. Good show. Again, it's, it's kind of grand. Margaret really was groundbreaking in in creating um, the the um, uh, side order of life in 2006, which aired on Lifetime in 2007. Granted, yes, it was cable, not broadcast. And I think Red Band on national, you know, broadcast is is a really big deal. Network television. Um, but, yeah, Side Order was the first young adult. It was basically like Ally McBeal in an ad agency with the primary character living with brain cancer in her early 30s. And it set the stage for you know, 50-50 and Chasing Life and the L-word, uh, the, 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 the C-word. C or the big C. The big C. Thank you, the big C. And it, there's so much, the pop culturification of cancer. Margaret's been at the forefront of that. So she gets all the credit in the world. Really good stuff, really. Red Band Society. Okay, well that is our our final show. I forgot to mention we have a special guest here, Nikki. Put her on air. Hi, Nikki. Hi. How are you? And who are you?
2: Uh, my name's Nikki. I am a 26 year old cancer survivor. With what? I colon cancer, stage three.
0: Congratulations. Thank you. That's the best cancer ever.
2: Yeah, it's so much fun.
0: Yes. Were you? I, I we want to get you on the show properly to be an official spotlight, but uh, I, not to make this any worse to your parents who are probably listening, but colon cancer is the fastest growing cancer in young adults. And it's probably because of Carpet Fresh. As I date myself, Carpet Fresh, not a sponsor. I don't think they make the product anymore. No? I I am so old. I am so old. Anyone listening over 40 knows what Carpet Fresh was. All right, I give up. I give up. Anyway, it's a pleasure to have you here tonight. Thank you for volunteering for us, and we will definitely get you on the show to share your story proper thank you for having me yes um and and awesome again keith great work any thoughts on what we talked about tonight
6: oh man i'm still fangirling out I'm, <laughs> I'm happy that just to be here i'm like taking pictures and everything
0: uh so i can't just thank you enough for having me it's important that young adult story is being heard it's being told sure. and, and thanks to our listeners out there who keep the show popular and by popular, I mean that my dad listens.
6: <laughs> <laughs>
0: all right, folks, that's tonight's show. Here is our closing sequence.
4: Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh,
0: Internet.
3: You ever seen a grown man naked?
2: And so, to all of you, a fun farewell.
0: Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, <laughs> you done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, that is our season 15 broadcast finale, episode 334, folks. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at stupid cancer. We'd like to thank our guests Keith Walker, live here in studio, Margaret Nagle, Wilson Cruz, Nolan you and Excitatus, who will be joining us live as a official Survivor Spotlight next season. All right, folks, this is the end of an era. We are doing away with the live show and moving to a free podcast subscription model next year. We'll be on hiatus until January 19th with an all-new format, kicking off Season 16 with Italia Ricci and the cast of ABC Family's Chasing Life. We will still be broadcasting each week, but now you can listen on your terms anytime through iTunes Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and distributed on... Apple and everything else, right here at the Stupid Cancer Show. Remember, folks, it ain't and it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo desk on behalf of my fabulous team here at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays, happy new year. I will see you back here in a few weeks. Later,
4: folks.